0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit bandwidth
2: for forecast is provided by cashfly at c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y dot com this episode of Forecast is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to Squarespace.com slash forecast. What sort of future do you think we're heading for? How will we live as we slip into the 21st century?
0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Forecast. This is Forecast episode 68. I'm Scott Johnson. And I'm Tom Merritt. And welcome back to the show, everybody. This is the show where we get to talk to a couple of great guests about their future predictions, could be in technology, social science, it doesn't matter. They bring to the table whatever their expertise is, and we try to talk about what may be in your future. Uh, Let's start with our first guest, Ariel Waldman. He is, uh, excuse me, she, Open Science a uh, strategist, interactive designer, and founder of spacehack.org, uh, created Science Hack Day in San Francisco.
2: Uh, Ariel, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Ariel, Ariel was recently here
2: at the cottage uh, helping robots to go wild in our backyard.
1: Yeah, it was <laughs> a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry I missed that. That sounds pretty cool. Also with us is David Kirkpatrick. He is the author of The Facebook Effect, The Inside Story of the Company That is Connecting the World, He's also founder of Techonomy and uh, does conferences all over the place, dealing with technology, how it deals with our everyday lives. Welcome to the show, David.
3: Thanks. good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's
0: good to have you both. Normally, when we start the show, we like to start with an email from one of our great listeners. Tom, I think we got one this time.
2: From Let's Dino, see. he says, hey, Tom and Scott, I have a crazy prediction for you that just might pan <laughs> out in the next decade. Mind control is ever-evolving for devices, but I wonder if it might work both ways. I predict that in relatively short-term future, there will be services that can take images from your mind and convert them into a digital vector format. This would be incredibly useful in a million ways, including for general memory purposes or maybe even in court. The niche uses for this are way more interesting, though. I read an article in Wired about how competitive memorizers use fantastical images in their head. Think Jammerbee, our producer, sporting gauges while riding a motorcycle with wings. To remember, say, a certain card number. A digital copy would make this much easier <coughs> and more efficient. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Wow, Dino,
0: this is uh, interesting. I kind of do some of this stuff a little bit now with things I need to remember, but not nearly this, this crazy I'm guessing if you're, uh, if you're really into memorizing things. And when he says, I mean, Tom, when he says competitive memorizers, who falls into that category? I've never heard of such a thing.
2: I, I haven't either. Uh, Ariel or David, have either one of you be, become familiar with competitive memorizers? There was an article, I think, in the New
3: York Times about that just the other day, actually. Um, there apparently are extensive memory competitions, and there's all kinds of tricks people use to like memorize like 80 numbers in like five minutes kind of thing.
2: So it's like like, like a spelling bee for memory.
3: Yeah, but they use tricks like they they associate numbers with colors in order to remember numbers and they remember names by associating them with all kinds of characteristics about the word that the name represents or the person's face. It's it's actually quite interesting how uh, competitive memory people operate.
0: Well, if they're, so I'm guessing what they probably do is they have kind of some kind of forum where they are fed a bunch of information, same information, in some kind of controlled environment or controlled space. Those people have to take that information, memorize it based on, I don't know what, visual cues or reading it or something, are sent somewhere, and then they come back, I assume, to some kind of stage, and then they compete in the International Memorization Olympics or something. I would, I would really be fascinated to see that at play. And it's interesting that if that sort of thing works or if that sort of thing exists, it seems like a great way to sort of come up with new techniques to, uh, to memorize stuff, stuff I could probably benefit from.
2: Yeah. Grunge Bob points out in the chat room, there are people that remember pie. So that's just kind of a, a type of competitive memory. Ariel, have you run into any of this kind of stuff?
1: Not too much. No. Uh, it's something that I find fascinating though, because uh, you know, it's really expanding the spelling bee. So I think it would be a lot more fun and interesting to watch people actually in the process of doing this type of thing. We
2: should do that on Twitter. I mean, if, if you Ooh. can have the spelling bee on ESPN, we could have competitive memory competitions, right? Oh, I would love that
0: idea. That's a great idea. Love emails like this. Keep them coming. Uh, send your emails to forecastpodcast at gmail.com or you can post a comment right there on forecastpodcast.com. We love bringing this stuff up on the show. Uh, Let's start with our short-term predictions. This is where we get to talk about next couple of years, five years, 10 years, something in that range. Uh, Let's start with Ariel this time. What are your short-term predictions, Ariel?
1: So, my main short-term prediction is that there's going to be a citizen science renaissance within the next few years. So if you can imagine owning a Pico satellite as easily as you can, a MacBook, or uh, getting a ticket into orbit for maybe $30,000 instead of the current $200,000 through Virgin Galactic. Um, and I think there might also be a public space race to land on the moon. Uh, so breaking more outside of government agencies and institutions um, and actually having, this is in science to happen.
2: Yeah, this is uh, this is already being presaged a lot by by amateur astronomers, right? They're sort of the vanguard where some real science is being done by folks who are just enthusiastic and and have some pretty good cheap equipment that's high quality and and making or at least contributing to astronomical discoveries.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that's breaking the way for this to happen, um, but I think it's going to be having a lot of momentum in the coming years um because right now we have things like google lunar x prize which are uh, involve different people around the world sending robots to the moon um and if you think about it the very first robot that crash landed into the moon was just seven years before we landed a man on the moon mu- mu- excuse me <laughs> moon. um so in just seven years gap we were crash landing robots to sending humans to the moon so i think it's really uh, starting to pave the way for everyone around the world to start doing this uh, within the next few years.
0: So the idea of um, just go back to the, cause you caught my, my ear there early when you said maybe we'd all have the way we have phones or personal devices. Now we might all have our own little satellite, for example, right. some small satellite we could send into orbit and it would act as our, our GPS, our communication system—a way to deliver all sorts of content, video, audio, um, whatever. It could be our guide through life, really.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: what? What does that? What is the capacity of the orb- orbital plane for that many, potentially that many devices flying up there? Do you have any kind of any notion of that? Like, what that would be like? Is it too congested? Are we going to have them smacking into each other? Got to buy insurance for that sort of thing? Like, how? How do you yeah. foresee that would work?
1: orbital debris is definitely a serious problem that's being uh, looked at by a lot of people right now. But the great thing about these PICO satellites is that they're typically put on an orbit so that they are decaying within a few weeks, if not months. So when they launch, they burn back up in the Earth's atmosphere within a few weeks or months. So they're not actually adding to extra orbital debris. What the capacity is, in that space for while, while we have a lot of satellites up there at once, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but the fact that they have quick, uh, fairly quick burn rates means that um, it wouldn't actually be contributing to creating extra space junk, which is good.
0: David, any thoughts on what it would mean to have that many uh, satellites in the air or the idea that uh, that you could have your own sort of personal space station floating around up there? Well, I
3: mean, what, what, what struck me about the idea was the whole idea of more people becoming serious scientists or um, a proliferation of science emerging uh, with a lot more individual involvement of ordinary people. I think that's very plausible and it's a really reasonable prediction, Um, but I, I would not anticipate that it would happen in the form of sort of lone scientists, which is kind of the implication of the way that ariel was mentioning it i to me everything that's going on right now is about collaboration in some form or another and you know the the expense of any kind of research is declining with extraordinary speed so that i think that we will probably see and i'm sure we could already identify it if we were really looking for it right now um a, a real tremendous increase in uh ordinary people contributing in a meaningful way to scientific advance um because of their ability to be connected to other like-minded researchers um and whether it involves space uh satellites and 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 such things or a lot of other kinds of things we could imagine i think it it will happen but i would i would certainly doubt that the way if we got to you know a lot of sort of ad hoc satellites that they would be sort of one person's project i think it would make a lot more sense to, to, make them, to, to imagine them to be sort of uh, collaborative activities, just like so much else is these days. Oh, well, you'd definitely.
1: Hope,
0: yeah, you'd hope that you could the, the, you'd kind of have a collective harness of all these things. Like the idea, it kind of reminds me a couple of years ago, and I guess still today, uh, uh, the folding project that, that got undertaken by the PS3 buying community. They were essentially encouraged to run this software. Sony participated and people can run these things all night. And it's a way of, you know, coming up with cures for genetic diseases and all sorts of stuff. I think that's really cool that the collective power of these otherwise, you know, game machines, video machines are just sort of all night churning away, contributing to a collective resource. Do you see, Ariel, that sort of potential in this kind of thing where we're now suddenly we have all this communication power and we have all this, you know, sort of computing power flowing all over the place. Connecting those and creating some kind of collective of knowledge or something.
1: Yeah, for sure. And to clarify, uh, citizen science really should always be collaborative. Um, it's something where it's it's moving away from being DIY and is really more about open collaboration between people with uh, diverse different sets of backgrounds. Um, So, uh, and a lot of the stuff that you're referencing is uh, distributed computing projects, which are getting a lot better than they used to be. Um, The really famous one was study at home but it had some drawbacks in that you weren't really interacting with the scientists around it and you weren't really interacting with other people who were using it. Um, But I think distributed computing projects are getting better and realizing that part of the collaboration is creating a machine learning sort of feedback loop so that you have humans working out problems together um, and feeding that information to robots so that robots can then give them more qualified data um, so that you're making both robots and humans happy and everyone's collaborating on a a mass level. So I think there's a lot of potential for it um, to be getting even better um, and, and more engaging within the coming years.
2: And you have to keep I the think... robots happy or they'll turn against us. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but could I, well, I think what's really exciting about this whole kind of arena is the combination of all these empowered people that have a net connection and their own intellectual resources even in the most r- remote places and the extraordinary advance in computing power that's happening simultaneously with the connectedness you know growing so that you have you know the the sort of a two well i'm sure there's others we could identify but those two things alone are such each one of them such an incredible accelerator of discovery and 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 research I think it's it's kind of an amazing thing bunch of things we could imagine in the near future yeah because you have
2: you have access to the training you need you have access to equipment that is is more accessible and cheaper than it's ever been before and you have access to the amount of support you want or is appropriate an astronomer who's looking through his telescope you know my first example doesn't need a lot of other people to look through the telescope but after he's found something he needs his astronomy club you know, to kind of gather around and check it, and look at it, and analyze, and the, is that what I think I see? And, and you know, and, and and then you can sort of pass it along to the broader community and have people comment on it. And it's 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 a fantastic world we live in. I, I think it's a great prediction, uh, Ariel. I completely agree. That's awesome, uh, David. Let's throw it
0: over to you. What do you uh, see in the short term? Uh, your our our short term collective future.
3: Well. I think we disagree a little bit about what constitutes short-term and long-term, because you said five to ten years, and to me that is extremely long-term, given the pace of change we're experiencing right now. But I'll tell you one that is maybe sort of medium-term. I, I think it probably will, within five years could be very likely uh, um, manifested. It certainly, I'm sure some version of it or some, I, mean, I believe, but within ten years certainly would be happening and could be a lot sooner. Uh, one of the things that i find extremely interesting that is essentially technologically possible now and, and some people are actually starting to do and they're even products to help you do it is uh, record everything in your life in video um and uh i think that you know well gordon bell wrote a book about that last year microsoft's been doing research in that for quite a few years um and i think that the way i am interested in looking at it is you know given that i've spent so many several years studying Facebook and you know many people often ask me you know what is going to replace Facebook what's the next thing and I mean everything gets replaced so something certainly will it's and I always say it's not going to be just a social network that's somebody else is doing for in a slightly different way it's going to be some fundamentally different form of communication and one thing that I've speculated about is that if uh, people really do in, in you know sort of routinely start recording everything in video which uh, I believe some people, or I think a growing number of people will want to do, then you you could apply algorithmic tools to the data, the, the video that you collect that way and effectively begin to assemble uh, a different kind of social network that would be more uh, a genuine reflection of your actual real-world experience. And it would probably in, 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 you know, incorporate more than just your human relationships because you could algorithmically analyze everywhere you go, everything you do, um, and of course, you could, you know, you could apply your own uh, selective um, analy- analytics on top of that, you know, human analytics. But I think that if effectively um, with, with the proliferation of data and particularly video data, we're going to really see uh, some, you know, social computing as we now think of it will be replaced by some kind of video-based real-time and 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 continually stored computing i'm not being as specific as probably i I should be but um it's it's a directional prediction that, that i'm quite confident some version of will will is very likely
2: Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. In fact, not just video and and obviously audio, but also data points, things like uh, what was the temperature, what were the ambient conditions uh, at that point where you were can be kind of put in as metadata while you're recording all of this. And you get a fascinating look back at what people were doing and experiencing at that time that we've never had before and, and it really turns its, on its head this idea of privacy, right? We, we're almost there. A lot of people think, especially uh, you hear about London a lot, that every move you make is recorded. Uh, but I think we sort of, I, I can see us seizing that means for ourselves and saying, you know what, I'm not going to worry about other people recording. I'm going to record it and I'm going to own uh, my own life more directly that way. Well, it's interesting
0: too. If you if you if you look at what you said earlier about Facebook is is doing the thing it does now, and you're convinced that whatever the next revolution in social uh, networking or engineering or whatever won't come from just a competitor to Facebook, probably they'll they'll maximize whatever this medium is going to give us for the next little while, and it'll have to be a whole new medium? Do you you suppose it's a new delivery method to get stuff to people? Is it something completely outside the realm of keyboard, mouse and screen or or mobile phone and small screen? Do you you foresee any of that sort of stuff?
3: Well, first of all, I believe anything that's going to come in social in coming years is going to be based on mobile devices. I think more or less that's all that's going to exist. Um, and, And I think the devices will get smaller and be more Will proliferate probably be in my glasses or whatever but certainly it will be something we have on our person um and you know i, I will say i think face one of the interesting things about facebook which is actually a big theme of my book is their amazingly rapid iteration and their ability to continue changing and they do that because they don't want to be rendered irrelevant and they will try whatever comes along to mimic it and and uh, and, and render it irrelevant but but i don't think they will always necessarily certainly at some point will fail uh, and one thing that I've observed is that video is one thing that, especially communications video, is something Facebook has historically done very poorly, um, and therefore it's probably where the biggest opportunity exists for someone to come along and 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 you know bypass them. Facebook is based on a fundamentally textual interface, which is you know really a creature of the web seven years ago when Facebook was invented, and even though it has add-ons to that, it's still kind of in a certain way locked into a a modality of 2004. Um, But I just want to clarify, one of the things I think is interesting about full-time video and social is, aside from all the other things you're right that we will be able to study or or record, just recording who exactly we interact with in the real world uh, on an ongoing basis so that we, you know, of course it has all kinds of other implications for memory, which is something we were discussing before. And I think it's also that we could have a whole discussion about that, because if you have video of everything you ever did, uh, that becomes an auxiliary memory of a certain sort. Um, But uh, I think assembling, I I mean, Facebook's always been about real, your real world social network, but it's gone very far away from that because of just our social habits of being afraid to say no to people, etc. But if we really want to accelerate and improve our, our relationships with people we really care about, I think this might be one way.
0: The chat room said something interesting. It says, uh, he wants to know, he says, David, are you talking about taking the first person experience to the third person? Is that, is that kind of the perspective we're talking
3: about here? I don't know what that means exactly. What do you think that means? <laughs> I don't know either for sure.
1: <laughs> I, I think it's... I have an understanding of that. I think he's talking about, you know, essentially uh, if you're video recording everything that you do, then inherently that means you're watching things that you do occasionally. So you are looking at yourself uh, from more of a. what well, right. I'm assuming they're saying, a third-person perspective. And so I am, uh, to Tom's point, I, re- I really like the idea that um, data is going to become a really huge uh, part and and that might be the next uh, thing is uh, you, the way you were describing it was almost as having an almanac of your life, which is really compelling. I'm a little bit skeptical on the video part though, because if you're co- if you're constantly uh, taking a video of everything of your life, um, when are you going to have time to sit down and watch video? Video is very time consuming and it's hard for most of us to even get through 30 seconds on a YouTube video. So um, there has to be uh, really fundamental changes in how we consume video so that it can become something that's realistic and useful and isn't something that we have to dig through in order to, you know, check back and see that really compelling moment that we gave in a meeting uh, a couple of days ago or something. Um, so consuming it is, is something that I think would be problematic, possibly.
0: That's well, a good that's- point. You, if, somebody, if somebody's in a meeting and they've, they've had an incredible meeting and they really want to share this with people or something, you don't want to give them a 45-minute meeting and say, oh, by the way, you're going to want to jump to you know, the 42-minute mark because that's really where things got good. And it's about, that's oh, it's a few seconds after that, but then you told them wrong and they couldn't find it. So by today's standards, that's not a very searchable, usable medium. There would have to be some things put in place that, that made that as quick as us just looking at sound bites, checking quick Google news. The things we do now with you know, written text and stuff on uh, online, we would need that to be probably more more a part of this browsing experience. David, you were gonna say something.
3: Well, no, I, I think that I understand now the first person, third person point, And I think that probably would be a piece of this, but by no means in my uh, 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 guess, uh, the main piece, I think the main thing that would be likely to happen is that the video would be recorded primarily in order to be subjected to analytics and algorithmic analysis um, that would then give you data that would increase and improve your um, real world you know, future experience um, because you would have a better understanding of your, your, your history and a better understanding of your relationships. And uh, I again, mean, definitely would serve as a memory aid. Maybe that's really what I'm kind of leaning towards more discussing it with you um and again i don't think that would come from reviewing the video yourself mostly although that would be an an opportunity you'd have it would be more by just analytics uh reporting to you what you did and i think we'll have you know trivially simple search tools for video um and and probably a lot of that search will be happening uh and categorizing things in real time just again because of the extraordinary processing power that is increasingly available to us um, and of course, you know, the trivially low cost of storage.
2: And if you're recording okay. your whole life, uh, all of your citizen scientists are helped out because that's more data points for them to use <laughs> yeah. in their studies. So
3: one of the things I'd say about this, it's interesting if you look at, you know, Blippy is one of those services that a lot of people find extraordinary that it could possibly exist where people give all their credit card data to the world. Uh, whatever they're purchasing. I think it's the same kind of mindset that might also come into play here, where a certain cohort, and it might be a considerable number of people, would decide to make their entire life video available to everyone, and available to collective analysis and analytics, which might then enable us to discover interesting things sociologically, politically, culturally, that I have no idea of what it might result in, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was something extremely interesting.
0: I completely agree. Uh, right before we move on to our long-term predictions, I can't get this out of my head, but it just seems like if you were in a meeting with a bunch of friends and you know that somebody mentioned a movie you need to rent that you haven't seen before, but you couldn't remember for the life of you what it is, how cool would it be to pick up your phone or whatever portable device it is at the time and say, movie, and have that thing go... And find any reference to word, the word movie, like Google does for us now with text online, and just play it right then. And they tell you the movie, and off you go. That, You're talking that, about like a one-year prediction. That's like a one-year yeah, prediction. If that can happen this year, I'd be very happy guy. Be something great. like that is
3: practically possible now, really.
0: <laughs> that's true. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to our long-term predictions. This is where things get a little bit crazier, and we'll leave it with you, David. I know, uh, I know you feel like long-term is five years from now, but... Uh, well, give us the Give us the long the long tail on this stuff, what do you say?
3: Thank you well, in order to to make what i i mean I, I would rather diverge from technology to some degree or, or go to a technology influence prediction rather than a technology pr- prediction per se if i 'm really thinking long term and obviously, I think whenever you think long term it 's hard to avoid uh, wish fulfillment and what you hope to see, um, but I do think there is an argument that can be made that we are headed toward a period of far more global harmony and that would be you know a a sort of optimistic long-term prediction that i would make Um, and i think that it's really it's a consequence of the likely um economic growth of the developing world and a declining sense of envy of the developed world and you know as more and more parts of the world seek to um really just accelerate their own uh uh, affluence and comfort and happiness. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, less desire to um, basically uh, take something from somebody else, which is effectively the the root of of conflict. Um, and and I, I again, you know, like I said, I see the world through the lens of Facebook, which I somewhat obsess over, and all these things that have been happening in the Arab world over the last month or so. Uh, while they're by no means uh, authoritative directional indicators, um, I think they do go to show that the individual is gaining more say in society generally. And that is most revolutionary and most uh, impactful right now in societies that are most undemocratic, which is why we're seeing these Tumults happening not only in the Arab world, but over the weekend there was report there was report that it's starting to happen in Nicaragua, where Ortega it was a very close associate of Gaddafi, and you know I think this and you know, this stuff is probably going to spread. There's really good reason to believe that it will, and and I think that long and so who knows how long term this prediction is, uh, and I, I I absolutely confess it's completely wish fulfillment kind of predictive stuff, um, but to me it's it's actually so important uh, that it be true, because if it's not true, we're effectively dead. I mean, you know, uh, again, you know, uh, I, I another minor matter that was in my book, Peter Thiel, who's sort of a big picture thinker, has a quote in my book, and it, he makes it relevant to Facebook, but it's really relevant to everything, that either globalization works or we might as well just give up, because we don't really have a choice. And I think there are plenty of forces that suggest that it's, that it's going to be hard but you know we are living in a precarious time uh, as a planet as a you know race of beings and you know we really better just hope that this prediction is right
2: well and i'm glad you made that prediction because i i get a lot of heat for being the pollyanna on the show and saying things like that quite often and what i think people get caught up in is looking very closely at the graph Right. And we see like, oh, we're in a recession and the crime is rising and, and 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 focusing on the negatives, which may be evolutionarily a positive thing. Right. Because it helps us to avoid the negatives if we focus on them and helps us to survive longer. But when you step back and you look at where society has been over thousands of years, you know, we've got better tradi- tr- uh, nutrition, we're living longer, uh, more people are better off. Uh, than they have been thousands of years ago. So the trend is definitely positive. The trend is well, phenomenally slow, slow,
0: though, right? That's the problem, is it's so stinking slow that it's sometimes hard to see that the trend is in that direction, but... But yeah, I mean, if you look at the raw data, which is hard, it's a rational, it's a rational measured thing to do to look at the data. But we just don't always do that as a, as a human race. We look at it and go, bah, everything's terrible, even though it might just be a tiny blip that is much higher than all the other blips we've ever had. But we have no, we have no reference point for that
3: sometimes. By the way, there is a way to look at that data very effectively at gapminder.org. Uh, which is a site put together by, a, I think he's a Swedish uh, social scientist working with the UN, where he basically charts a huge range of indicators of national uh, economic, medical, um, social progress. And it, when you look at it, uh, it's amazing how much progress has occurred in an astonishingly short time. I mean, the, like lifespans, infant mortality, even education rates, they have been improving on a global basis with astonishing speed, uh, which is really a nice thing to be reminded of, considering that if you look at the you know news, it's pretty easy to get bummed out. Although I find this recent news about the Arab world pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, I, I, I also, th- um, uh, it, it just brings my, to my mind this idea of, you know, the future is brighter and we need to be a little bit more optimistic in all of this. I don't see how any of this can happen. This equity, because basically what we're talking about is for us to reach some kind of, equity and the equity creates opportunity. It's actually something, you know, uh, as quote unquote Americans, we're always touting the idea that, well, equality means opportunity and anybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and make something of themselves because we are all equal in this way and we all have, you know, the same sort of starting point or whatever. And I know you could argue one way or the other that that's, uh, you know, an exaggerated ideal or whatever, but but that's been the idea. But we're terrified of this idea. I I think some are that the rest of the world might also find parity, might also find equity, because that somehow threatens our our ability to be way up here with our own version of equity and not have to share that equity with anybody else. Do you, do you feel like technology is the key to bridge the gap between all of that fear and all of that sort of, um, you know, overprotectiveness of what's ours and to be able to defeat that and become a, a greater, you know,
3: worldwide peaceful bunch of people? There's no question that is happening. And it's because of mobile technology, most of all. I mean, you know, um, everyone in the world is trying to get hold of a mobile phone, and there are already, you know, around 3 billion people that have them. And an increasing percentage of them are smartphones and use, people are using the Internet on them. Their access to information and all kinds of benefits are, are increasing with astonishing speed because of that. Um, and by the way, the U.S. is going to be certainly you know the rest of the world we better hope they come to parity but unfortunately the us is in such a screwy position right now in terms of our attitudes towards education in particular that we are seriously at risk of not being, you know, met at at parity, but being radically bypassed. I mean, we are, have already been bypassed by an astonishing number of nations on a whole range of metrics in terms of education, in terms of infant mortality, in terms of lifespan. If you look at that Gapminder thing, the U.S. is not the leading country on a lot of things. One thing it still is one of the top, if not the top, is GDP per capita. But that's just about money, you know and a lot of other indicators of quality of life we have already fallen behind. Ariel,
2: we're all yeah. we're all very um, positive the three of us. I think overall <laughs> can can you poke holes in our balloons or are you right a there with bit. us? I little
1: bit, and and I was I was wanting to listen for a while before being like a Debbie downer on anything. I'm not super negative about it. I think it's a is a great forecast and and uh, and And definitely a hopeful one Um, but you know technology goes both ways and uh, if you look at things like the Drake equation which is um, the equation of the likelihood of being able to find extraterrestrial intelligence one of the parameters of that equation is uh, civilizations developing technologies like nuclear bombs um and so it's just you know weighing the the good and and bad factors of technology because uh while technology uh as it's advancing is giving us this one to many power so we can uh say one thing and thousands if not millions of people can see it at once we also have technology that allows one person to do something and kill millions of people um so there's definitely some some bad things out there and and it's scary because you could is something where there's always the possibility of you could have a society that is getting more and more positive, and um, and working towards peace. But sometimes all it takes is one you know bad apple, and a lot of people can be killed instantly. And um, and so that's why uh, when we're searching for extraterrestrial civilizations. Um, A lot lot of scientists think it's really hard because a lot of scientists think that uh, within the time period that someone would develop the ability to communicate uh, through radio signals, they would also be developing the technology to wipe out their entire planet. Um, And so I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. I really want us to, to be working. And I am really inspired by... Uh, the power that people feel that uh, they have now um, and how uh, countries are able to watch a, a, a country somewhere else uprising and get inspired about that and actually make a difference. Um, I think it's amazing and really great um, and exciting to watch uh, even if something bad does happen. I, I think it's really an interesting uh, period to be living through. Uh, but yeah, technology works both ways. Um, and so, so there's also the ability to just uh, go completely the other way, um, even if you have a lot of people working towards peace. And, and so so that's, well, the, that's the negative side of the argument.
0: Well, before, before I throw you the baton for your long-term prediction, I just wanna say everything we needed to know, we learned in Pixar's A Bug's Life, and you know it, people. The, but the ants can rise up and take down the grasshoppers. That's what I say. All right.
3: Can, can, I, just, can I just put one more response out on that one? A- absolutely.
0: It has to be Pixar-related. No, I'm just kidding. Be whatever you want. Go ahead.
3: I'm not deterministic about this. I don't believe it's inevitable. I think we all have to work really hard to make it true. And one of the things that i think americans are extremely weak on is wanting the rest of the world to gain wealth and to actually come close to parity or even maybe bypass it's probably better i believe 911 i believe all kinds of things that are horrible in the world can have are very closely related to poverty and deprivation and you know e- economic and 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 political inequality and you know if we have it's not just something sit around like watch the cell phones make it happen. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it is absolutely incumbent on all of us to work toward this, and it's still not a given. But the thing that's really fascinating about what Ariel said, because she's totally right, I agree with basically everything she said. What's really amazing, I remember a friend of mine said this to me after 9-11, you know, he said, you know, considering how easy it is for somebody to wreak havoc, it's incredible that every day we don't have people like, blowing up a gasoline tanker on the George Washington Bridge or something. Because really, any one of us could wreak havoc in, in in a massive way anytime we wanted to. And it's kind of astonishing how seldom it does happen.
0: Well, with that note, let's jump over to your long-term prediction, uh, predictions, Ariel. I would, I'm would i excited to hear what you think will happen in the next 50, 100 years. When okay. will we get our flying car? I'm hoping you're going to talk about it. <laughs>
1: I've got more space predictions, not necessarily flying car. Uh, uh, Two small (laughs) ones uh, for the next hundred or so years. one is uh, the discovery of a multiverse. Uh, so this is a theory that's uh, gaining a lot of popularity lately. Um, the idea that the, our universe isn't the end all be all, um, that there are actual, uh, actually multiple universes out there. Um, and right now there's um, some theories and, and reasons to believe why it's true, but we don't have a ton of discovery around it just yet. So I think within the next 100 years, um, We'll find more evidence of that. Uh, and then the second one for around 100 years is that we'll begin terraforming Mars. Uh, so that will actually, um, you know, we're supposed to be landing on Mar- landing humans on Mars in the 2030s um, through NASA. Um, so I think within the next 100 years, we're actually going to start looking into building habitats on on Mars and actually potentially looking into how we could terraform it.
2: Do you think, I, I, I'm really a fan of the multiverse theories and, the, and all of the developments around them, uh, and, and, I, and I know in a, in a lot of ways it's based on the idea and quantum mechanics very oversimply stated that, you know, every point uh, spawns every reaction and, and, and universes are constantly being created uh, by everything that happens. But one thing I've always read is is people very careful to say, but we can't. Travel to these—that they, their, probabilities. There's no. Do you think we'll ever be able to actually visit a multiverse, or do you think we're just going to discover evidence of it?
1: Uh, if you want me to get into my prediction for a thousand or so <laughs> years, that's actually what I was uh, going to say. Is is the super crazy? Prediction that I have is that um, the way we're able to, uh, Amber Case, a, a cyborg anthropologist, puts this in a really lovely way. She calls um, our cell phones essentially techno-social wormholes. So the fact that we're able to whisper into a cell phone and someone in China uh, all the way around the world can hear us. Um, so the way that we're able to transport our voices and, uh, and our images to other places around the world, imagine if we could do that with data. Um, And so when you start thinking about that, then maybe, you know, in the in a thousand years or so, um, we could actually be transporting ourselves through data. So it would be less about moving the physical self uh, through light speed and more about actually seeing how we could transfer our data uh, to someplace else. Um, As, as As
2: information, you're saying?
1: Um, yeah, as it, information, yeah, this is... Uh, I this clarify, is
2: because whenever we talk about transferring data, I start to think of like AT&T, and I'm like, well, we'll never get there.
1: <laughs> yeah, thankfully, AT- AT&T, I don't think we will be around in a thousand years. That's a huge prediction. Another um,
2: prediction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using up all your predictions early. I'm sorry. <laughs> I
1: know, I know. I'm, I'm going to be all spent out quickly. But uh, but yeah, being able to um, transfer data um, kind of our, our mentality or our our mental state, the way that we're able to transfer our voice somewhere. Um, so, so that's something, it's essentially, um, what's the term um, that they use in Star Trek where they're able to transport themselves from one place to another. If we're able to transport our information and have it be received by a physical thing somewhere across the universe, um, that might be how we could travel to these multiverses. Um, you know, it's, it's more of a crazy prediction, but it's, it's an interesting one to think about. And it's definitely something that there are, there, theoretical physicists are uh, contemplating the possibilities of.
3: David,
0: any thoughts on uh, transferring you as information to Mars one day? Looking forward to that.
3: Um, well, I, I want to try to make my crazy prediction based on this, so I'll come up with that in a minute. But one of the things that I would just comment is that I think, you know, in an age of exponential increases in Computing power and and storage and such uh, it isn't it you know it doesn't require a thousand years for some of these somewhat crazy sounding things to start to happen I I actually don't think there's anything unreasonable about what Ariel said I I would only probably say it'll happen sooner rather than later but you know it's true you know quantum computing is quantum quantum uh, physics is and it's so amazing with you know spooky action at a distance and all this stuff that they've identified where you know, particles can actually sense. You know, on the other side of the planet, a, a parallel particle that that actually flipped or something. You know, there's some forces that we are really only just had the tiniest beginning of understanding that might really um, might be tameable, but I want to, when we come to the crazy stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll expand a little further on that. Uh,
0: that sounds awesome. I, 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 still can't turn on a TV and not be amazed. I even understand the technology. I understand how we get signals now. I totally get it, but I still am blown away by it. This didn't ask me. It's not that far from that. Just need to get physical matter and uh, we're good to go. So uh, before
2: we get onto our crazy stuff, we're going to talk a little bit about Squarespace, aren't we Tom? Yeah, this episode of Forecast is brought to you by Squarespace. Until we get the ability to transfer our entire body by information, uh, one better way to transfer information is on your blog. And Squarespace is the fast and easy way to publish a high quality website or blog. Uh, they have an easy to use UI for creating and managing. Uh, if you want to import your old blog over, you can do that. You can take all of your data from WordPress, from Blogger, uh, from TypePad, bring it into Squarespace and use their tools to tweak the templates in a really easy, intuitive way uh, to make something look good. They have tons of templates, uh, so you can start from there and then do some tweaking. You can do some CSS if you, if you know CSS, or you can just ignore that, and you're like, I don't even know what CSS stands for. You don't need to. You can just use the tools they have to move things around, tweak stuff, change colors, make it look the way you want to look, uh, and then add things like Twitter or your Facebook uh, wall pro- posts or, or your Flickr, uh, all in modules, that are added very easily. And you can also take your data with you when you leave. They believe in data exportability, so you're not locked in to Squarespace. The advantage though, is that if your blog gets really popular, it's going to hold up because Squarespace actually throws as much bandwidth against your blog as it needs, rather than sort of locking you in to a particular type. So why not try it for free? We'll give you a 14-day free trial as a listener to a Forecast. Just go to squarespace.com/forecast, sign up for the 14-day free trial. You can you can start your own uh your your own blog promoting global harmony uh, right now or you can import a blog and just see how your blog would look. And Squarespace, we, we, we invite you to give it a try. In fact, we use it for Forecast Podcast. If you go to forecastpodcast.com, you're looking at a Squarespace blog right there. So why not give it a shot? Squarespace.com slash forecast. And we thank them for their support.
0: Absolutely. It is time for the crazy ass predictions. This is the really far out there stuff. The things like 2,000 years from now will all be made of meatloaf or whatever uh, comes to mind. I didn't want to use Tom's cheese line because it's he's famous for it. Uh, Let's keep it with Ariel. Ariel, I can't wait to hear about your crazy space predictions.
2: Do you have another one? Because I kind of spoiled you. I I
1: have to think now because I used it up. Crap. Um, (laughs) Let's see. Uh, Well, I mean, a lot of it's about uh, robotics, uh, being able to have the capacity to uh, travel um, interstellar. So being able to actually travel to other star systems, um, I think is definitely possible. Uh, So probably the crazy ass would be uh, traveling to other galaxies. um, Because when you think about the speed of light, um, it actually doesn't really go fast enough um, for us to be able to visit other galaxies within a human lifetime. So that's why I think uh, really getting robotics uh, and robots to be sent out to these different locations throughout the universe so that uh, future humans could maybe download their their uh, mental selves into these robots so that we could actually be doing space travel. Um, I think that's my realistic yet, uh, many hundreds of years out prediction.
0: Oh, I love this one. So I, you're, <laughs> this is great. Cause this idea that we have to be the ones who are physically there, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have to be doing the discovering. We have to pick up the rock samples. We have to bring them back. I guess ultimately we want to be able to do that but in the interim, how cool would it be to really virtually be there and yeah. apply it to all kinds of stuff? You know, we do it now with bomb detection and disarmament. We do it with all kinds of things. We are trusting robots to do stuff more now than we ever have before. If we can get them more bipedal and get them more, you know, give them some coordination to the, to the degree that we could, you know, it, at the very least, remotely control them with our, you know, with, our, with ourselves, the way we do, say, uh, you know, uh, spy plane runs over, over different countries and stuff, we do that from Nevada or whatever, uh, and bombing runs and all sorts of things. And we do it with the eye of the, of the plane. We know exactly where the bomb needs to go. It's as if we're physically there. We just need to go next step, put me in the robot, and let me be there to, to do the discovery and to do that stuff, and then go home at night and have dinner with the kids. I love that idea. It's a great, great, great prediction.
2: Well, it's, it's, it's a lot safer Uh, if we can pull it off uh, and it allows us to, to do a lot more in advance of showing up. I am a firm believer that there's no replacement for a human being being present at whatever they're doing. I think there is just, if nothing else, an intangible advantage to being able to be there and manipulate things directly but at the same time you know going to Mars there's a lot of discussion about well do we make it a one-way trip or do we put it off and wait until we have the technology to make it a two-way trip and what does that mean and can we survive Uh, and so in that case I'd much rather have some kind of telepresence robot uh, that allows us to really explore Mars and then maybe buy us the time to expand and explore and see what's there so that we can eventually uh, have a manned mission there as well
1: yeah, and I agree that uh, that it, there's no replacement for a human being there. So I guess the crazy part of the prediction is, is being able to actually transport that data of who yourself is into another physical thing across the universe, um, so that it doesn't feel like you're just uh, you know in in this all-encompassing 360 room the way that a lot of augmented reality stuff does now. Um, that you would actually yourself would be the robot. Um, so, so you would actually be swapping your data into the robot. So you would actually have control. So it would be closer to, um, if you were watching, uh, this is really geeky, uh, uh, the um, Battlestar Galactica prequel that was on the sci- Sci-Fi channel, where uh, you're able to transfer yourself into a Cylon. You're talking about um, Caprica?
2: Oh, Caprica, Caprica Yes, yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. Okay. So in Caprica, uh, they are able to go into this um, internet where their physical and and mental self is completely uh, surrounded in this other world. Um, And then they're able to take that and transfer themselves to a robot. So you have um, this essentially soul of a human being who's operating a robot. Um, So it is actually, that is your physical self. uh, so I guess there's, there's big technological leaps that need to be made in not only uh, finding stuff that's faster than light travel, but also finding stuff that allows um, our concept of ourselves to be transported to some other uh, capsule other than our, our human body.
2: David, can you yeah. see a, a use for, for this kind of technology?
3: Absolutely, um, and unfortunately, in order to kind of reply i have to give my crazy long-term view if you go for it (laughs) no go for it the time is now anyway have at it when you think about crazy long-term views it's like i can't think of anything that you would i mean this whole beam me up scotty idea is the most compelling attractive uh and exciting long-term prediction almost that one can make uh, especially if you combine it with everybody else having the same capability. So it kind of goes back to the, you know, harmonious society thing I started out with or came to earlier. But um, I just wanted to totally echo that, but I actually think that we will get there and you can actually see directional indicators today that give a sense of how it might happen. Um, and you know. For example, I think Microsoft's Kinect product is probably the most significant hardware advance we've seen in recent years. And it really does sort of portend a kind of holographic reality that becomes quite routine in the fairly near future, so that we really will be able to feel like, um, I think, you know, all you have to do is have a projector that takes the, the data that a, a more sophisticated Kinect-like sensor, set of sensors, uh, a, a gathers, and, and you really can begin to have the appearance of being somewhere else. Um, and and then you, I think a robotics is an interesting thing to throw in there because who knows how we will combine holographic um, imagery of ourselves in a remote location with a robotic presence that gives us the feeling of being there, um, and and also then you go you just look at what's already happening with augmented reality, um, and take it a few steps further. I mean I remember IBM but not very many it was I mean maybe 10 years ago, they were already talking about it and they haven't really done it. But sampling of cities that was so photorealistically convincing that you really would be able to feel you were in the city. Um, And you you obviously need to figure out a way to add smell and wind and things that are probably kind of uh, a little harder to do today. But again, I think with exponential progress, we will get there too. So what I guess I'm predicting is that we may not actually physically move around that much in the future, but we will be able to have unequivocally the feeling that we have done so. Uh, and Mars would be no less likely than anywhere else within a reasonable you know, speed of light um, uh, potentiality. I mean, I think when you get beyond somewhere that, where you can have these experiences with some approximation of in real time, because speed you know the distances are so great that the speed of light would, would be you know not enough to really make it feel instant, it becomes harder. Uh, but if we're just talking about being somewhere else on the planet or being on Mars, um, which is not really that far away in light terms, um, I think we will get there uh, and, and I think we can see uh, it happening, and I think you know we already have. Uh, an astonishing set of like disparate technologies that are in very crude form that are likely to converge uh, so that we have this. And and again, I just want to go back to that other thing. We damn well better hope that everybody has it, uh, but I also think it will probably, if if everybody has the kind of trivial ability to go anywhere, uh, lead to greater understanding.
2: So if I, if I read you right, uh, you're saying that we where our body is will end up just being sort of a non-factor because we'll be able through virtual reality and augmented reality to experience any place at any time, sort of the way we've gone from saying like, well, I can only talk to somebody if they're right here with me. We can now talk to anyone anywhere on the planet at any time. We'll actually be able to experience being anywhere on the planet at any time.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it was Ariel that just said the thing about, you know, the phone and, you know, in, in someone in China experiencing you. I mean, it's just sort of a connecting the dots from there to a, a much more dramatic version of the same thing. Uh, and I, I, think it's, I think it's, you know, it's a little crazy. I'm acknowledging this is my crazy prediction, but I don't
2: think it's completely crazy. Well, that's why we do the crazy prediction. So you get, a, you get a chance to kind of go out there on a limb because that's where re- the really interesting stuff usually is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, this is, this is a cool prediction. I think that we're, we're probably just in the baby stages of something bigger. You know, you just expand on what you know, and it seems like talking to a dude in China, which uh, let's say 30 years ago seemed crazy the way we do it now. Uh, doesn't sound so crazy now, so why not? I, don't, I think your prediction is not only likely, but probably not all that crazy. And I will see you all on Mars. Uh, any fi- final thoughts on that, Ariel? Anything you want to add to it?
1: Uh, no, I, I think it's all great. And I, I kind of am enjoying how our various uh, forecasts and predictions are actually tying together in a in a neat little bow of uh, yeah, of it leading to a better understanding of ourselves and each other. And, and hopefully that promoting, um, you know, not only citizen science, but also peace and, and, and uh, greater... Uh, contributing to the greater human good
0: excellent i'm all for that i'm also all for our four questions this is time for four questions it's where you guys get asked four questions by us the segment is where you have to do it in real time you do not stop and think think you're on mars and you're trying to get a phone call just answer with whatever comes to mind free association time uh i think i'll start ariel i'm going to ask you questions are you ready for me
1: (laughs) i guess as ready as i'll be
0: all right here we go Will we ever have our own heads-up display installed in our brains, and if not, why not?
1: Uh, I say no because it would be extremely annoying, and the idea that we can't have ultimate control over our brains uh, might be a bigger risk factor than most want to take. So I think if we had it, it would be similar to choosing to take drugs. Um, You have to deal with the risk factor of not having complete control over your mind.
0: Correct answer. (laughs) Uh, I would not want this done to me. Robot cab drivers, wave of the future or terrible, terrible idea?
1: I think it would be amazing and awesome. I, I think robot cab drivers and robot cars in general should absolutely be implemented. Um, the only big hurdle that has to get past is people's uh, psychological view of, of letting a robot take control of a car um, because it's something where there's a lot of fascinating uh, questions you can ask people about even if robot car accidents are only capable of killing, let's say, 500 people a year and human accidents are capable of uh, killing, let's say, 50,000 people a year, people will still typically want to say that humans should be the ones uh, to be able to drive cars because robots are killing 500 people a year, and that's a horrible thing. Um, so even though it might be safer, I think the, the biggest challenge is not the technology, it's the, uh, it's the psychological hurdle of letting a robot drive you.
0: Yeah, we have some social hurdles to, cut, to cross before we get there. Okay, this next question is kind of visual I have in my hand. A four-month-old, hard-as-a-rock Twinkie. It's from my son's school experiment. The question for you is, predict how much longer this Twinkie will last.
1: Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, 500 years. I don't know. You're probably about right. 500 years is probably a
0: half-life. Yeah, that that is uh, the least crazy-ass prediction I've heard all day. Uh, And then finally, what movie... Uh, that we know is coming out this year in 2011. Do you think will be nominated for Best Picture next year?
1: Oh God, I'm horrible at these questions. Um, Short term. <laughs> isn't isn't Ghostbusters 3 Definitely supposed short-term. to come out this year?
2: If Bill Murray ever picks up the script off his desk and reads it and approves it, yes.
1: Okay, and then what else is isn't uh, isn't there supposed to be Batman? Another Batman movie. Uh, no, this 20, year? 2012 for Batman. Ah. Oh, I don't
0: know that. <laughs> we we'll go with I, Ghostbusters really
1: 3. Huh?
2: I, I, I think Ghostbusters 3 is a good answer. It's go a fine that. prediction. Yeah, That'll
1: be yeah. my answer.
2: <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. David Kirkpatrick, are you sitting comfortably, sir? Uh,
1: uh, as
3: comfortably as I can, given what you're probably about to throw at me.
2: All right, here we go. Four <laughs> questions. Question number one How long can Facebook last?
3: well facebook will last indefinitely it's just a matter of how central and important it remains um there's no question that you know something called facebook will be important in five years uh in 10 years it's a little less certain uh but anything that gets that big uh you know it'll be just like you know aol email addresses there will be some people who use it even after something dramatic has come along that many of us feel would have replaced it so um you know i mean I would say, you know, in the kind of, in your taxonomy, you know, I don't know, 10 or 15 years at least, and probably longer. I, I actually said uh, on a panel that I was on with Zuckerberg last summer that I thought it probably wouldn't exist in 40 years, and he was deeply offended. But uh, in 40 years, I think it almost certainly won't exist.
2: All right. Uh, very very well. Good good example with AOL. I was like, well, if Friendster is still around, I guess Facebook will last quite a bit of time, but Friends AOL is just
3: barely still around.
2: Though. Yeah. AOL is <laughs> an even better example. Question number two, who will become self-aware first, Google, Facebook, or 4chan? <laughs> <laughs> self-aware? Like as a, as a network, uh, the network will actually be contain its own intelligence.
3: Well, I mean, I actually think Facebook is kind of, potentially evolving into a global brain and it's not about the technology it's about the people that are inside it and so it's if you consider the system to include the people who are using it um, I think that's kind of what Facebook already is
2: all right fair enough question number three at what point will friendship be determined objectively and and a social network can just tell you your list of friends right from the beginning because it'll it'll know based on your preferences
3: isn't that what I predicted with my video thing before? You kind that of spoiled
2: you, this question a little bit. Yeah. It would be
3: exactly, you know, that, that, I think that will happen in the not, you know, within eight years, whatever. And it'll probably be based on some kind of, of analysis of our real world experience where our lives are being observed by a computer and the results are being fed to us in, as we choose.
2: And question number four, when you teleport into your Martian robotic body, will you want it to be smaller, bigger, or the same size as your real body? You know,
3: <laughs> it's funny. You look, those kind of questions make you think of Second Life and the way that people pick these absurdly fantasy uh, incarnations. Totally, totally. Uh, so, I guess on ba- my my assumption for myself would be that I would probably end up looking more or less the same, just because. And I've always tried to just use my own name and my email address. And I think it's one of the reasons I found Facebook interesting is because I've always had this impulse to be my real self. But I think the average person, most people are going to, you know, really uh, augment themselves to be, you know, very buff and uh, gorgeous. Uh, And that probably means bigger and uh, healthier. All right. Very good. Those are your four questions. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you Yeah, for this for one, You guys
0: did an awesome job. <clears throat> for the record, uh, 4chan is already uh, aware of itself, Tom. Just want to clear it's that It's very up. aware of itself in many ways. You're right. It has, uh, someone in the chat room says it has a very short memory, which is a good point, that's so true. it may not last. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, that's going to do it for the episode. It was wonderful having you here. David, uh, tell us a little bit more about your book and where
3: people can find it. Well, it's out in paperback now in in the United States, and it's come out in about 10 other countries already. It's a, a, a bigger seller in Japan than in the United States at the moment. Uh, it's called The Facebook Effect, the inside story of the company that's connecting the world. And it's a history of Facebook, and I still think the only book that anybody's written that tried to take stock of what it meant, and the only final thing I would say is I'm really excited about how much I wrote in it about politics, considering I finished it over a year ago, I was hoping and sort of thinking this kind of thing might happen, but the book begins with kind of a prediction that this kind of thing we're seeing now would happen. So um, it, I guess I believe it's going to happen even more in the future.
2: That's yeah, it's good feeling. So they can find, that they can find it at uh,
0: The Facebook Effect on Facebook. So facebook.com well, slash The Facebook the Effect.
3: But you can order it from Amazon for
0: $8. Oh, awesome. There you go. Uh, thank you again for being here. Ariel Waldman, tell uh, the fine folks on the Internet where they can find more about what you're up to.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm Ariel Waldman on Twitter, but uh, you can also go to spacehack.org, which is a directory of ways to participate in space exploration. So uh, you can start discovering galaxies or building robots and sending them to the moon actually today. Um, so it's a directory of different ways that you can get involved um, and connect with people in the space industry um, and and start actually contributing to scientific discovery. So it's pretty exciting.
0: Very cool. Tom? We have yet predicted again. We have done it again. We have forecasted the future right here on Forecast.
2: Yes, once again. uh, And and thanks to some really smart guests. Uh, We we actually didn't have to show off how little we actually know (laughs) about the future, unlike (laughs) last week when we had the tables turned on us. Uh, Don't forget, Mm. folks, too, that you can also uh, enjoy our discussions of the currently geeky things on Current Geek, available at CurrentGeek.com.
0: That's absolutely true. They got some more ones coming out this, uh, some new ones coming out uh, this week. Don't forget, go to the website. It's forecastpodcast.com. Send us your email at forecastpodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you. Thank you, guys. But
2: it's only 32
3: years away.